0: of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Some years ago, my phone started buzzing and buzzing near the middle of the night, as it does sometimes. And when it does go off like that, I kind of groaned and I looked, as my room lit up in the dark, to the light of the phone, and it was a distressed parent please come to the emergency room. Please come quickly. So I sped over to Chippenham Hospital, and there in the middle of the night was this large group of teenagers and young adults and parents. It was the unthinkable. It was a DUI, and a lot of children were distressed. A friend of theirs was in a deadly, deadly crash. And a lot of children had been hurt. The first response of folks after the tears and the fear, the anger, was to simply hold hands, to hold hands and to pray. And I'm reminded in this gospel of this moment, of this feeling of young adults who. Seem to be in over their heads in this gospel reading, a little bit like the disciples. They're in over their heads. You see, they're so slow in figuring out what they'd gotten themselves into, all of this following Jesus' business. They didn't know about his harrowing end. They didn't know about their own harrowing end. And they couldn't accept that Jesus would soon die In these early days, they're a lot like adolescents whose brains are not fully developed, who are making bad and hasty decisions. They would ask questions, and then they wouldn't listen to the answers, or at least they couldn't process the answers. I think Jesus understood this about the people he loved. He knew it would be a process. And so a lot of his teaching is putting down markers and hoping that over time they would open these teachings, almost like a gift. The great gift of our gospel today is this. It's simple. Lord, teach us to pray. And he responds with the Lord's Prayer. Now you'd think he would go on and on about it, defining exactly what it was, giving an explanation, an interpretation. After all, thousands of books have been written about this one prayer we hear in Luke, but not so. There's no explanation of it. He simply gives the few basic commands. I imagine he said it kind of slowly to the disciples, not because he thought they weren't bright, but because they weren't fully formed. They weren't yet ready to open up the fullness of what it meant to forgive what it meant to fully love, and to be thankful for daily bread. But there was something else he felt like they needed to know right away, not an explanation, but this weird story about snakes and scorpions, did you catch that part, and eggs? It goes like this, What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead give him a snake? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And he's exasperated. He knew these men. He loved them. He loved them in a way that he even grieved for them. It's almost like he had recruited 12 Episcopalians, or at least the kind of Episcopalian who prays without expecting anything to happen, you might know what I'm talking about. When we say prayers, whether it's in church or in the silence of our own room, we're not necessarily praying, are we? Saying prayers is not necessarily praying. If prayer had been a crime, these disciples had gone to church, they could have pled lack of intent They'd been praying without expecting God to do anything about it. And that's okay. They weren't fully formed. But Jesus takes this personally. He's exasperated. Because if we pray without expecting anything to happen, it could mean one of three things. That we think that God can't hear us. That we think God is somehow powerless to help us and to love us. Or we think that God can't be bothered to help us, that somehow God is deaf or God is impotent or callous. Well, to Jesus, these are fighting words. What kind of God would send people into the world, especially ones you love, without all that they needed? It was insulting. And so he tells them in no uncertain terms, ask, and you shall receive. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it will be opened unto you. Not might, not maybe, not maybe on the first full moon after the vernal equinox. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead give him a snake? What is it with a fish and a snake? Remember in the ancient world what the deep stood for and what water could mean. Chaos, danger, the home of the great unconscious life that we may be afraid of or not attending to, the home of the Leviathan. Under sea was the way of death that the ancient Didache used to talk about, primordial and capricious. But fish are different, Fish, that ancient symbol of our faith. They were the one thing that had protection under the water. Not only could they breathe, ruach, the breath of life, but they could roam freely, and they had freedom, and they had life. They were masters of grace and compassion. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead give him a snake? you see what he's saying to us. He's saying that no matter how bad life can be or how how bad it may seem right now, midnight in the ER, if you are drowning in some way, if deep down you feel panicked and out of control, if you're sinking and you feel like there's no way out, God isn't just there, but God loves you and can help you. God has the power if we have the expectation. And not only that, the openness in our heart center to know that we are one. I don't want to talk about the snake part. and You all know that I'm very afraid of snakes. The scorpion and the egg for just a moment. Imagine a juxtaposition this different. An egg which we know in Mary Magdalene's hand in a beautiful icon, Means resurrection, means hope, means thinking forward into the future. And a scorpion who, when it kills its prey, first injects a neurotoxin into it to paralyze it, and then watches it die slowly. Scorpions are nasty things. The scorpion, I think, means looking backwards, or it can mean that living a life where we're always looking to the past and staying stuck in it. So why do we sometimes pray without expecting God to answer our prayers? Sometimes, when we're honest, we pray looking backwards as if we were rowing. But we can't pray with hope or expectation if we're looking backwards. Our past can be the enemy of our future, for ourself, for our family, and even for a habitable planet. For example, in the past, we may have prayed to God, but we were disappointed because he didn't answer our prayers, so we just stopped. We stopped talking. We went mute to love. We went mute to hope. And we went deaf to God's in our life. But did it ever occur to you that maybe you thought you were at Long John Silver's when you were, in fact, at the inn at Little Washington? And what they serve at the inn at Little Washington is so much better than what they serve at Long John Silver's, that it just took longer to prepare, and your order simply hadn't come up yet. Or the fact that you got something better than what you asked for, but it was different so you didn't connect with what you got or what you asked for. Or that instead of what you wanted, God actually gave you what you needed, but you didn't like that, and you're still mad at this God and still looking backwards, nursing a wound. Our past can be an enemy of the future. Some of us may have been brought up to believe that God didn't love us for whatever reason. And that not only that, God didn't hear our prayers. We still look backwards, weighed down by memory, carrying a kind of low sense of self into our prayer life. Some of us might be angry right now, angry at someone we love that is hard to deal with, or angry at the state of the world, a hope for justice that is denied. Some of us may feel like we don't deserve to have our prayers answered because we've done something so wrong or so bad that God can't even forgive us for it. Our past can be an enemy of our future. But when we keep looking backwards where that poison from the scorpion is, spiritual paralysis sets in, and we forget how God made us to be good and beautiful. I want you to hear me this morning about this egg and the scorpion. It's time to let go of the scorpion. God yearns to take us gently by the shoulders and turn us towards a beautiful future that he has prepared for us. So let him. If you need to forgive, he can give you the strength to forgive based in love and move forward if we really want to and if we ask. If we need to be forgiven, God can help us accept that he has forgiven us already and we don't need to feel guilty anymore. Only if we really want to and only if we ask. We can't live in the past. It's actually over. If we look down, we realize that in the palm of our hands, there's always an egg, an Easter hope, that lies deeply within us. That's our true life. But the gospel starts in a dark place. God didn't first appear on a sunny beach or a cloudless day, He came to earth in the dark womb of His mother. He came in a time of hurt on the outskirts of an empire. He died on the cross in an eclipse of the sun. He defeated death in the dark before he was risen from the tomb. He appeared to Mary Magdalene in the dark, and he appeared to terrified disciples in the dark of an upper room. Isn't it true that he comes to us when we're at our worst, at our lowest points? Not when our finances are perfect or when our kids are doing perfectly? or when we're cancer free or pain free or when everything is coming up roses for us God comes to us at our point of need where we need him and when we need him but he needs one thing from us today he needs us to do just one thing ask and it shall be given to you seek and you shall find. Knock, and the door will be opened unto you. To me, to us. Yes. Lord, teach us again to pray. Amen.